I thought this evening would be a little easier for me, uh, but I was, uh, as I sat this evening, I was flooded with the realization that this is the, and I don't mean to be dramatic about this, but this is, and it's not a joke, uh, that this is the first Tuesday evening in 13 years that I will go home and have my dog not there waiting for me when I arrive home. He, he died over the weekend. And I've been, uh, I've certainly been since Saturday in uh, a roller coaster of grief and loss and sadness and moments even joy, uh, moments as though nothing happened at all. Uh, but the thought of going home tonight on a Tuesday night, which were, which is always a kind of special. Uh, night because he is often, almost every Tuesday, except for when it's been raining, he has been outside of our house on his bed and already asleep. But he looked—he up until now looked up, and I would, I would spend about ten minutes just caressing his chest and listening to him coo. And uh, those days are over. And so I'm really—I just feel. S- really sad about knowing that that's uh, to come and, and about the loss. And I knew that I would mention him tonight because that's what's been on my mind and I'm kind of an open book to a certain degree. But because this is the, the context of this is the Dharma, is the Dharma meaning truth, it's just to, as always, as much as I'm able to, just to acknowledge the truth of this experience and the truth of that—that uh, that is not just the experience for me, but the, a truth that is universal. That every one of us is uh, is subject uh, to the experience of grief, lamentation, just the sense of loss both of our own youth, our own health, our own life, and all the, the, our near and dear ones. And it's amazing the, the depth of love, the uncomplicated love with a pet. And I know any of you pet owners know exactly what I'm talking about, but anyone who thinks that the loss of a pet is any easier or different than a, really any different than a, a loss of a, another human near and dear one is mistaken, at least in my case and in my family's case. And I uh, just have to say that uh, one of my dog's name was Rigpa, otherwise known as Riggy. Rigpa is the Tibetan word for, it's really hard to capture, but it's the intrinsic luminosity of, of the intrinsic freedom, the nature of, nature of mind, basically. It's called Rigpa. And, uh, but he was... And it's a little bit sacrilegious, supposedly, to to use that word to name an animal. But I, we did we did it anyway. But uh, Riggy was um, Catherine, who's sitting here, was the designated caretaker for Riggy whenever we would leave town. So I know that she's feeling with me tonight, and I'm happy that you're here to kind of that I know that somebody here knew him so well. I've never talked about him here, but he's been one of my great gurus. And I often, I know I referred to him 
when I've read that, what I think is a very humorous quote about about uh, accepting ourselves the way we are, where he says, "If you if you could go through the day with this poem says, if you could go through the day without stimulants, if you could." If you could still love, even though somebody's gotten mad at you for no reason of, <laughs> for no reason at all, for if you could get through the day without, uh, you know, just so good natured, and the, finally at the end of the poem it says you're probably the family dog, <laughs> because we tend to project these these unrealistic expectations on ourselves, but it, it true, but dogs truly are the way that we aspire to be, in that that purity and that that basic goodness that just keeps coming back for more even when you project all of your what I use the Yiddish word mishigas all your stuff onto them and, and all your wants and aversions and anyway he was a, a beautiful beautiful being uh, his eyes were luminous and just exquisite I called him the Maybelline boy and <laughs> He was spellbinding, but he he knew it because he used those eyes to to beg. He was a master beggar, and <laughs> he was classically because as another sentient being, he was definitely a being who, like the rest of us, is is conditioned, and his conditioning that I would say was both common to many species, but very species-specific, and especially maybe his breed of husky Australian shepherd mix. But he was what I would call in the Buddhist cosmology a hungry ghost. The hungry ghost are the beings or the considered the plane of existence where that's, how, that's occupied by beings who have very tiny mouths and huge stomachs which means they can never be satisfied so he could be full and still be still be begging and i i think my own hungry ghost my own internal hungry ghost is one of those things that we would call psychologically a disowned part it's a part that I don't really like so much in myself that sense of insatiable hunger and desire so I would get irritated with his incessant begging. But in my wiser moments, I would say, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's me, that's all of us. And so he was a great teacher in that regard. So many ways that beings who become, or this particular being became part of my day-to-day existence. When I would walk by the window in the middle of the night, I would try not to, I'd try to be really quiet so as not to wake him up. So that, because if he woke up, then then he might start to bark or he might start to beg for food or, or something. But then I would come down in the morning and go in the cabinet, get a cup of food and feed him and he would be in heat, you know, waiting for the, waiting for the food. And the first morning coming down him not there and every the three or four days a week that I meet with that I meet with people in my Sausalito I have an office in the city and one in Sausalito 
the days of the week that I meet with people in my Sausalito office, he's always there. And this week, this yesterday uh, and today, uh, I was there all by myself, and I felt lonely. It was very interesting. So this is just the human experience of feeling loss, and it's not an aberration, it's not weird. This, that from all the teachings, everything, everything revolves, all the teachings revolve around our coming to grips with the fact of impermanence, that whoever the very definition of birth is the leading cause of death. Everyone, uh, every being who is born will die. And in the famous sutra, in the, I think it's the Diamond Sutra. Yes, in the Diamond Sutra, a beautiful, simple passage, a constant, uh, what should be a constant, we should constantly remind ourselves. It's, it's called the fleeting world. Thus shall we think of this fleeting world. A star at dawn, a bubble in a stream a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream. We shouldn't have to talk about the fact of life being a bubble, a dream, a phantom, that everything that is born dies. We shouldn't have to talk about that. It should be quite obvious to us. But we talk about it because all of us, including including me, have this tendency toward self-deception, toward forgetting, toward living as though we have forever and in the, in the delusion of thinking that we have time tend to overlook the preciousness of our and the temporariness of our moments. I came across this little poem that traveled around the internet it was a story of a young girl and it was the request of this girl who was about to die from cancer and she was had six months to live and her dying wish she wanted to send a letter to everyone telling them to live their life to the fullest since she never will this Prelude said she'll never make it to prom, graduate from high school, or get married and have a family of her own. But these were her words in her poem called Slow Dance. Have you ever watched kids on a merry-go-round? Or listened to the rain slapping on the ground? Ever followed a butterfly's erratic flight? Or gazed at the sun into the fading night? You better slow down. Don't dance so fast. Time is short. The music won't last. Do you run through each day on the fly? When you ask, how are you? Do you hear the reply? When the day is done, do you lie in your bed with the next hundred chores running through your head? You'd better slow down. Don't dance so fast. Time is short. The music won't last. Ever told your child, we'll do it tomorrow? And in your haste, not see his sorrow? Ever lost touch? Let a good friendship die, because you never had time to call and say hi. You'd better slow down. Don't dance so fast. Time is short. The music won't last. 
When you run so fast to get somewhere, you miss half the fun of getting there. When you worry and hurry through your day, it's like an unopened gift thrown away. Life is not erased. Do take it slower. Hear the music before the song is over. So there are many poems like this that remind us to, of the impermanence and the poignancy of our life and to stop. So I was, when I said this evening how, well, I didn't say it out loud, but I was for, so happy for you for giving yourself the gift of, of this immediacy, of the silence, of the contact, of being able to put your mind back in your body and slow the, slow the dance down a little bit. And even if all you did was see the rushing of your hundred chores through your head, that's good news if you notice it, not just be lost in it. While I'm on the subject, I thought that I would share with you a classic teaching from the Buddha that is something that I think is worthy of contemplating every day so that we do keep in mind the temporariness of things. It's called the, the Five Contemplations for Everyone, or the Five Daily Contemplations. Everything I've said up to this point, but put in more succinct terms. I am sure to become old. I cannot avoid aging. I'm sure to become ill. I can't avoid illness. I'm sure to die. I cannot avoid death. I must be separated and parted from all that is dear and beloved to me. I am the owner of my actions, heir of my actions. Actions are the womb from which I have sprung. Actions are my relations. Actions are my protection. Whatever actions I do, good or bad, of these I shall become the heir. So he includes the reflections on sickness, old age, and death, but also on the how it is that we live our lives, that everything that we do with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions, are planting seeds that produce, the, uh, the, that produce results that both impact ourselves and, and the beings around us. So keeping that in mind, it's the center of our practice, really, so that we don't live in illusion, that we don't live in the, in the idea that there is permanence, The three most common misperceptions that human beings walk around with is the the misperception that what is uh, permanent is often taken, what is impermanent is taken to be permanent, what is unreliable, unsatisfactory is taken to be uh, a cause of satisfaction, and what uh, what is selfless is taken to be me and mine. And even our bodies we cannot own. We as Jack Cornfield often says, these are just rent-a-bodies. So we need to develop this wise, this wise relationship with these bodies, take care of them, honor them, cherish them, feed them well, but understand that they operate according to their own laws, not according to anyone's will or wish, and we have to let go. So I'm with my dog, Riggy, Rigpa, uh, am 
in the process of letting go, of experiencing the natural flow of, of grief and loss. I was, because I think about these things as well as just feel them, most of the time with this, I, sometimes I wish I didn't have this role so that I could just gr- grieve. But most of the time I'm not in this, I'm not actually serving in this role. I'm just like everyone else here, just grieving away, doing whatever I do. But because I knew Tuesday night was coming, I started contemplating grief a little bit more. And it is natural. It is conditioned, though. And grief is, there is the feeling, the deep, uh, this is just my latest work in progress, loss is the, the feeling of loss, the feeling of that absence. There is just no, there's, that's a pure feeling with no, there's nothing to do about that except experience the inevitability of it, the actuality of it, the truth of it. The grief, grief I'm beginning to see, even though they all get clumped together, these words, grief is really the feeling of loss with aversion. I didn't want it to be. When I got a call from my wife saying, the neighbor thinks that is seen your dog in the, the neighbor has seen Riggy in the, in the yard and he's looking very strange and he's, he looks like his, he's dying. I screamed. I went into this instantaneous discharge of emotion. But it was, it was not just the pure sense of loss. It's, I said it out loud and I screamed it out loud. I don't want it now. And this is the aversion part that actually makes our loss more painful than perhaps it's possible to have it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's possible to feel loss and be completely in harmony with it. I'm generally in harmony with it. He, had an, he was an old guy. He, he was, by human terms, 91 years old, 13 dog years. But I didn't want it to happen. I wasn't ready for it. And there, in that I felt what I'd call grief, loss with aversion. I didn't want it to be. But that's just the way the conditioning is flowing. So there, in our practice, there's nothing for me to do about that. And there's nothing to undo. I don't need to become the great non-griever. I simply need to notice, and hopefully this translates for you as well, just notice how that is. What is my experience when there's loss? Where is the pain? Where is the suffering? Where is the inevitable part? Where is the optional part? See if I can learn from it. If I learn something from it, perhaps the next time that clinging part might be a little looser. Maybe not. I don't know. But I think there is a power to being interested, to applying what we call the awakening factors of interest, investigation, of calm, of mindfulness, of concentration, of bringing our energy, of examining what actually happens. And I think there is a loosening in opening, which is the meaning of the word vipassana, opening to things just the way they are. And in that we learn, because that's when our natural intelligence 
and, of course, compassion can shine. Because I didn't feel any judgment of myself or retching, <laughs> saying, not now! That just seems so organic and human. Anyway, I'm going on and on. So I thought that uh, I would open open the door to any comments, questions, topics. Please, Tanya. Anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death today. From Can everyone hear Tanya? She's talking about Kurt Cobain and people who were interviewed and, uh, and now... Interesting to hear about loss when yeah. We do grieve in different ways. That's such. That's that's right. We're all different. In fact, it's a very personal experience, and I think I can. I don't mind disclosing that my my wife and I have just been retching together. My daughter, seven-year-old daughter Molly, is says she feels sad, but she doesn't need to cry. She's just totally getting on with it. She's already looking forward to her next dog. Now, she's a little bit of a hungry ghost, too. <laughs> but perhaps, but that, is, but that is her unique way. That's her way. And I, we're not trying to have her be any different. 
I wanted to, Tanya, thank you for reminding me just to, I got to pause for a moment and really reflect on something I wanted to say. But I, in watching my dog die, or in the process of dying, it gave me so much faith in a kind of intrinsic intelligence and maybe the instinctual intelligence of of dogs in particular because he was very much a pack dog and liked to stay close to home he was not a wanderer he didn't go he did start to as his years got older he wandered the hood a little bit the neighborhood and but it was really based on where he could get treats and he developed, he developed very deep relationships, actually, with the neighbors. And I, I say that with all sincerity. They fell in love with him. But in this case, he always came right home, and he liked being home, and he liked hanging out at home. But the 24 hours before he passed, he did not want to come down into the vicinity of our house. He, the first day, he spent the whole day in the neighbor's driveway, just lying in the sun. And then he came down at night, went to sleep, and then in the middle of the night, he started drifting away again. And when we saw him, he didn't want to come home. He had total clarity about where he was going. We, we were obviously very attached and sentimental. He was just on his way. And when we went to say goodbye to him in the last moments, he, he didn't give us that, that usual look in the eye. He just, he basically communicated, let's get on with it. And that clarity gave me a lot of comfort in a way that... He was on his way to, uh, to die. And it was just nature playing itself out in a very instinctual way. And there's something about that that was uh, very reassuring or something. So any other comments? Linda, please. When something is difficult, you drop the story, come back to the physical experience, the emotional experience. And that does make it much, much, much easier, but sometimes I wonder if, even if that is a form of trauma, that it can push yeah. something that maybe I do. Yeah, she wonders, even though that does bring some relief to drop the story and come into the felt experience, is that a, a way of pushing something away? Or sometimes that would be described bypassing, not actually dealing with the with the underlying emotion. But maybe do you have a hunch that that's the case? That it's a kind of avoidance. Yeah, I would just notice the motivation for going back to the body. Is it just because you want to be good at the method of of feeling things, or is it does is the engine behind it not wanting to feel something? That's. You're, you can be the only one who's an expert on that. Uh, please, you had your hand up first, and I'll be with you next. Go ahead.
Well, the not wanting things to be the way they are, the, I think it's based on the reason I mentioned it is because the central, central teaching of the Buddha is he, he taught only one thing, suffering and the end of suffering. And he didn't talk about pain so much. He saw there's mental pain and physical pain, but the mental suffering that accompanies our experience is something that, that keeps us bound up in a kind of contraction and tension. And what he, what he saw is that what, what causes us not just pain, pain is inevitable, what causes suffering is this deep desire for things to be different than the way they are. That, keeps it, that creates a kind of contraction, that creates a kind of resistance to, to reality, that not, if it's felt just as resistance or tension, no problem. If I just feel that, that's just resistance. That's just not wanting things to be that way. But what often happens is that feeling of resistance goes unnoticed, produces an internal tension, and that tension spawns a whole strategy, a constant running from, I talked about it last week, a constant running from silence, a constant trying to make things different than the way they are that leaves us unable to find a place of balance and, and serenity in the midst of things, able to meet the joys and the sorrows with more, with more uh, spaciousness. So it's an invitation for each of us not to adopt a view about aversion, but to see how that works in our lives. See how, what happens when we experience things that are really unpleasant. Notice how there's the unpleasantness and notice how there's the, the reactivity to it. And notice how that all gets bound up into what we call mental suffering. And if you really feel that, you will want to without necessarily adopting any view about it or a religion about it, you will want to find, you will feel how much of the time we are in a state of, of contention with reality. And you will, in your heart of hearts, long for some way to meet experience in a way that's more graceful. That has less suffering involved in it. Doesn't mean that you won't feel pain. Doesn't mean that you won't feel loss. Don't, doesn't mean that you won't cry your eyes out. But the extra stickiness of that you may be able to alleviate a little bit. And you could apply that to any number of experiences. When somebody cuts you off, when you see the political landscape the way it is, how how the the least privileged or the people who are getting trashed right now, how do you deal with that? Without, without getting bound up in, in rage and anger. How do, you, how do you respond to that rather than be in a state of reaction? And it's, Examples are endless of how resistance to reality adds suffering. Yeah, if you experience it, then it's just another bit of manure for, for awakening. It's just another thing to notice. But it's when it goes... When it gets practiced and fed and identified with, you build a whole story about it and you become really righteous about it and all of that, then you're just living in a, a kind of delusion and postponing your sense of well-being. Anyway, uh, Noemi had her hand and then Madison, I'll get to you and then we have to call it an evening. Oh, 
when you let go, she says, when you let go of story, it's not about avoidance. It's dealing with what's really there. It's being in the moment, yes. Yes, the story is about then and there. Yeah, and the body is about here and now. Mm -hmm. See, this. Yeah, maybe the story is the delusion of not being here. However, the story is also something that arises in the present moment. And so if you can notice story and be easy with story, not be lost in story, great. You don't have to go anywhere. It's, oh, there's my mind telling a story. There's my mind constructing this, this world moment by moment. And then, and then there's the, the felt impact of that. Yes. Okay, last, thank you, Noemi. Madison, you had a comment. Very stabilizing to hear about my car being towed <laughs> and Riggy dying. <laughs> No problem jumping on a negative train of thought. Can't pipe in positive thoughts and jump on those. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful acknowledgement to see how much we incline toward negativity or, or whatever, what, whatever the inclination of our mind is. So that's the first step in being free of that pattern of, if you can notice it, you're a little less caught up in it. So that's good news in a way, but it's also bad news, and you see how conditioned your mind is to incline toward negativity. That's, and that's painful, and so it's important to feel the impact of that, and let the impact of that, let yourself be touched with, ideally with compassion, for the pain of that. But also you can, when you notice it, that's why attention is so helpful, when you notice it, let it be the cause of at least turning your attention toward uh, what's possible, what's wholesome, what's, I don't know if I'd call it positive, but what's loving, what's, uh, what's just toward the uncertain. Because we don't know how things will turn out. But we, we, sh we also don't know that, they're, that they will be as bad as we think they will be. So that at least to start in whatever way you know how to put the negativity, when you notice it, let it be the reminder to, like I said with the, with the body, let, it let anything you notice be the reminder of your love of being present. So let everything you notice be the reminder of your your love of of healing of
finding wholeness, of doing what's skillful and helpful for yourself and not fall into negativity. I, that's all I can say right now because we do have to say. I wanted to just, uh, just in the last few moments before we share the blessings of our practice, I wanted to, this may be an odd time to do that, but I wanted to welcome people. How many have never been here before on Tuesday night? A welcome wagon. Anyway, I wanted to welcome all of you here. We've been wanting to do this for a while, just acknowledge that people come in and they go, and just I hope you felt at home here. It's try to make it like our living room, but it is there are a lot of people, so it can sometimes feel a little big. But please make yourself at home. At, feel free to ask questions. It's likely that whatever question or topic comes up in your mind will probably be of some benefit to someone else here, so don't hesitate. But get used to it and please come up and introduce yourself if you feel to uh, at any time except during the talk <laughs> but thank you for thank you for coming and then secondly a couple announcements i'd like we'd like to we're having a zafu drive a request for zafus our pillows have gotten so trashed for many of these have been sat on for 26 years they have moved from Dolores Street, from 675 Dolores to 19th and Dolores to the to the Noe Valley Ministry, back to 19th and Dolores, over to this church, and they're really tired, and many of them have holes. So anyone who feels to donate some zabutans, those little flat pillows, or zafus, please uh, please feel free. And then the last request, and I guess this is part of the, the Donna talk. I should probably save this, but I'll just talk about Donna right now. This, any teaching that's, been, that's offered here, and in a tradition that goes back 2,500 years, is offered freely in, in the spirit of what's called Donna or generosity. And that's how the, the flow of teachings have come down through the ages, is through the, the free offering of teachings. And through those 2,500 years, those who receive teachings and support have provided for the requisites of those who have offered. And we tr we're trying to keep that tradition alive. There's no charge for coming here. So we, but we offer the invitation for you to support my requisites or whoever is taking the seat. Next week, it will be Yvonne Ginsberg who will be with you for the umpteenth time. Wonderful teacher. If you want to read a little bit about her, she, it, there's a blurb on our Mission Dharma website. There's a bio, and she's got a vast experience of many different kinds, and she's an activist, uh, uh, a psychotherapist, a, a great Dharma teacher, a great storyteller, a, a real lover of animals. I forgot to tell her about... I, I didn't forget. I just chose not to tell her... Uh, today I just couldn't get into it. It was too painful. But she knew our dog and loved our dog, and she often brings her dog here on Tuesday nights. But anyway, she'll be with you next week. So anyone who takes this seat is offering the teaching freely, and the invitation is for you to uh, practice Donna in the form of, of support if you feel to. It's not obligatory, but it, it is a, it's a practice and one that the Buddha encouraged. And in the 
another practice of Donna is to support the all of us being able to be here, and that is to support our room rental, which most of you know has gone up to $150 a week in the last year. And that's a, in order to provide and keep our sangha going, uh, we, we need support for the room rental. So any generosity that you can offer for the room rental is also deeply appreciated. And there are many ways you can offer it there. You can offer it by cash in the basket. You can offer it by checks to the church that we occupy, and those checks are, are those donations are tax deductible if you write Mission Dharma on the memo line. Then there are there are ways that you can practice through, through using a, the PayPal that we have on the website. And if you are so inclined, and this would really help our Sangha have more steady uh, and more reliable resources to pay the rent, there is the option of a recurring payment on PayPal, which is kind of easy to set up. And if you're, if you're interested in practicing Donna in that way, I, don't, I do that with Spirit Rock, and I see that, that um, Spirit Rock on my visa bill every month, and it actually warms my heart that I'm, I'm offering in that very stealth way, that quiet way. So feel free in any way. And thank you in advance for any kind of support. Thank you for your practice. And I would like us to, in these last few moments though, to just keep quiet and reflect on the preciousness of this birth, this existence, its impermanence, the uncertainty of the time of its ending. The fact that our moments are very valuable and whatever we do with them produces some kind of result, either wholesome or unwholesome, depending on what we practice. We can reflect on the, the defects of getting caught in the wheel of endless searching outside of ourselves and come home. Just feeling the sense of embodied presence, feeling the support of the community, and just sensing any blessings that you feel from practicing, any goodness that has arisen from practice, any benefits that have come. We not only feel them, but we share them freely radiate them in all directions to all beings. So many beings in this world that need the blessings of goodwill and wisdom. So sharing the blessings of our practice and punctuating the the sending of our blessings with the deep wish that all beings can find happiness and peace in this very life. That all beings can feel safe and protected, healthy and strong. All beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. That all beings can recognize the sacred happiness that is without sorrow here and now. And all beings at least can grow in serenity, equanimity, able to in a heartfelt way, meet the joys and the sorrows with less grasping and aversion. 
May all beings experience loss with grace. May all beings be free. Thank you for listening to my ramblings about Riggy. Oh, we have a brief announcement. Could you, you want me to say it or do you want to say it? This is for the benefit of those who may need work or know others who do. Um, there's a job fair um, w- that's being put on by the um, Alameda County Department of Behavioral Health on Friday afternoon. And there's going to be a lot of community-based organizations that do programming for the county and I think some county jobs as well. Um, last I heard, I think they were saying like 45 jobs. I think it was 45 jobs, not um, organizations. I don't. I had put flyers out last week. Um, I don't have any with me. If anybody's interested in coming, if you want to just give me your email, come up and give me your email address after we're done. I will send an email out to everyone with the information, and I will be at the job fair, so um, you'll know somebody if that's helpful at all. Anyway, thanks for your practice, and please be mindful and be kind.